0: What's up, everybody? Jesse and Dave, and uh, we got a special guest today. This is a Neighbor Podcast, episode 22, right? 22, the official 22. 22. I know we had a mix up on the last last episode, the last file. We We didn't upload one that we had (laughs) burned, so we decided to hold back because it was uh, poor quality. So (laughs) here we are, we're skipping one. And, uh, you know, I would like to introduce and get right to it. Our uh, guest, uh, Tim
1: McCosker. Tim (laughs) McCosker.
0: Candidate for City Council, right yeah. District 15.
1: Candidate for City, city Council, 10. City of Los Angeles, yeah, Council Boston. District 15. Wilmington, San Pedro, Harbor City, Harbor Gateway. Wow. and Watts? Yeah, Wow. Beautiful. It's
2: a big area. Well, it's
1: a very big area, yeah. It is 260,000 people, 13 miles long. Wow. wow. It is a, a beautiful, diverse district. It is a long and narrow at the middle, with the harbor area at the bottom, and at the top is uh, Watts. Yes. Wow. Well, we're honored to
2: have you here. Uh, this is a big deal for us. Absolutely. Um, you're, uh, you're obviously on your way to uh, the November uh, elections, right?
1: Right, right. So, the um, uh, I've been a candidate for and in this race for about 15, 16 months. Mm-hmm. And we had the June primary. We finished first in the June primary. Nice. And then we head to the runoff in November. It's November 8th in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, we can't wait. Well, um,
2: I uh, understand you're a… Um, you grew up in uh, San Pedro, right? You grew up in San Pedro and uh, your uh, your family, uh, your dad was a firefighter for what, 30 years or
1: so? Yeah, he yeah. was a firefighter for nearly 30 years. Okay. So I, I grew up in the harbor, I grew up in San Pedro. My family uh, came to the harbor area for a lot of the same reasons many of our families came. Right. Uh, my dad's dad came because uh, he was uh, worked in the federal prison system and they opened Terminal Island prison. <laughs> and so he was the mechanical engineer so he worked the boilers at Terminal Island when I was a kid. Wow. I can remember taking the ferry over to Terminal Island to go to work with him some days. Yeah.
0: Well, wow. you said you guys came here, where did you guys come
1: from originally? So he came from the Midwest. Okay. Uh, he was in the prison system, and so they had moved him to Illinois. And in the middle of winter one year, he was just looking at the bulletin board. He had two young kids. My dad wasn't born yet. And he saw that they were opening a prison in this exotic place called Terminal Island. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. sight unseen, right. he said, I'm signing up. I want to be part of that team. And so he, they came out. Uh, they bought a place uh, on North Leland in San Pedro, right around the corner from where I live now. And, um, and then my dad was the first child born there. Wow. And so he was born and raised right around the corner from where I am. On my mom's side, they actually came from Boston, classic Irish Catholic Boston folks. Mm -hmm. My grandma was a single mom, and and they were, you know, having a rough time. She had two kids. The youngest was my mom, and her brothers, when they got out of the war, World War II, Mm -hmm. they became longshoremen in San Pedro, Uh, and she wasn't really sure what that was all about, except they were doing well. They owned a house, and so she. Whatever you did back then, wrote a letter or teletyped. Or. What year
0: would this have been?
1: This would have been the mid '30s. Mid '30s. Wow! Yeah. And so, um, and they were
0: still using the hooks.
1: Yeah, still using the <laughs> hooks. Yeah. Oh, I have, I have their old Real hooks. No yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, And so she, she, you know, called out to her brothers and said, "Hey, you know, help a sister out." Right. And so my mom and my uncle and my grandma lived in a garage behind their house. And so they, you know, the, the sort of the ethic of the family, the story of the family is that this, the harbor area and these opportunities in the harbor area has really turned our family around.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Beautiful. But I do cool. have those hooks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Way. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's old school there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, I just want to get into a little bit of you know your childhood. Uh, what school did you What school did you go to? Uh, you know, elementary. Sure. High sure. So my
1: my mom and dad uh, wanted us all. We were six kids in the family. We all went to Catholic school. Okay. And so I went to Holy Trinity uh, in San Pedro, and when we were my brothers and I, I have two older brothers and, and three younger siblings, and as we were heading towards high school, Mary Star was the Catholic school in in the area. Uh, and it was uh, all female, and it was just converting over, and it had not yet fully converted. And so, uh, boys being boys, we wanted to go to. Uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> we wanted to go to a different school. So we went to Bishop Montgomery in Torrance. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, That's cool. Yeah. And and uh, you uh, so, how what was your what was it like growing up? I mean, you know, in that era, how did you? Were you involved in politics early at that time, or what? what well, you yes clubs? and no, sort of.
1: That's a really great question. Yeah. So my dad, as I said, we said, my dad was an LA City firefighter, yeah. right? And he was—he uh, won his entire career, nearly thirty years. He went off disabled. He had a couple of injuries on the job, uh, but uh, during his whole career, he was a regular firefighter, and um, and he was very proud to be a regular firefighter, and he uh, he was in a group of men because they were all men unfortunately in the battle days a group of men that formed the union oh that exists today uh, years ago in the 60s and the 50s and the 60s and even up to the early 70s uh, there there were a lot of restrictions on public employees especially police and fire being in unions mm-hmm. and so they actually there was actually the law there was a case law that allowed them to form unions and so my dad and a bunch of other folks, were in that first group that formed the United Firefighters Union. The point being, that was a big part of our family upbringing. It was about union, politics, and work rights. and, And then also the firefighters, it was very important to the firefighters to campaign for the right council members and the right mayors and the right work rules. And so I remember as a kid walking with my dad on neighborhoods, knocking on doors and advocating for whatever, Tom Bradley or... Pension rights or survivors <laughs> benefits, uh, things that went into the charter for the city of LA. Safe to say, you've been campaigning since you were a kid. <laughs> I've been campaigning since I was a kid. And my wow. two older brothers, wow. actually, they became firefighters, just like uh, our father. Pat and Mike, right? Pat and Mike. Yeah. Wow, very good for you. Yeah, so Mike was the political director of that union. Okay. And Pat was the president of that union. And so they were hyper political about uh, city politics. So yeah, it's been it's been in the family for a wow. long time. That, is, that awesome. is awesome.
0: Do you think it's something that you nor- you normally just gravitated to, or was it impressive when I
1: mean, your dad that you
0: guys should focus on this?
1: I think it is something that I just normally just gravitated to. There was something in me, you know. When I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, and and folks were dreaming about being astronauts or football <laughs> players, uh, I wanted to be a city councilman. Really, as corny as that sounds. I can remember being in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, junior you know, middle school and really wanting to be involved in city government. Wow. As weird as that sounds.
0: And at that age, what was your extent of the knowledge that 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 would entail to hold that position?
1: Well, the the knowledge was not was 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 pretty good because um, I was at this little Catholic school, Holy Trinity, and one of our neighbors Right around the corner from us was a guy named Vincent Thomas, <laughs> for whom the Vincent Thomas <laughs> Bridge was so. named. Wow, this is great. And scene, he yeah. was a parishioner of ours, mm-hmm. and so I remember, like, you know, t- you know, serving mass at his, you know, 50th wedding uh, reception, you know, wedding vows, uh, and then, um, and then it seemed like the, the, the nuns who taught at that school would invite in politicians quite often. John Gibson came to our school a couple of times, you know, Gibson Drive, and, um, Glenn Anderson, the Anderson Freeway. Uh, so we, we met these folks. They came in and they talked at school. I'm sure they did it at a lot of schools. Yeah. And maybe other kids weren't paying attention, but I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah.
0: Wow. Look at That's, that. That is yeah. awesome. That is definitely uh, not something that you know a kid that age would even consider you know? it's very, or even have any knowledge of, right? It's very
2: what? unique. It's just, you know, you don't hear that all the time. You don't see it all the time. But it's... You know, certain things happen. You know, for a reason, and that right. this is something that has led up to. You know, you made it. You're, you know, you're on your road, You're on your way there.
1: Yeah, and I think it probably would go back to just the stories around the dinner table, talking about the firehouse, the fire station, and the runs that my dad would go on, and and the events of my youth, which were the, which was one of which was the uprising in Watts, wow. an important, an important moment in my life. Just being aware of the being aware of a city that was much bigger than the Harbor area and that had all of these you know, issues and inequities, and we talked about it around the table. And I think that just growing up, I was just kind of enveloped in some city history as well as city policy, as well as the importance of a city functioning right.
2: And when you say around the table, it's a dinner dinner table, right? Dinner, dinner table.
1: table. Wow, that I, li- I
2: like that because, uh, I mean, society, families have, have gone away from that.
1: People yeah. don't have dinners
2: anymore. It's just yeah, it's rare, and I think that's one of the things that pull, holds family together, builds strength, builds unity. Everybody can communicate. It's like an open forum.
1: I'll tell you a funny story. My dad uh, was, um, I mean, he he grew up in the area. He went to um, he went to grade school. He went to high school. Uh, didn't have a lot of extended, you know, formal education, uh, but he thought it was really important to be able to tell a story and converse. And so we had a family of eight, and we sat around the table every night that he was home, because remember he was a firefighter, so yeah. eleven or twelve nights a year a month he wasn't home. But we would, if he was home, we would have a dinner, and at the end of dinner, everybody had to tell a story or a joke. Wow. Wow. And it was you would stand up and it was like Toastmasters <laughs> at home. Tell a funny story, tell something interesting, you know, captivate us for a moment. And it wasn't it wasn't burdensome, it was fun. It was really, really fun. It was always age appropriate. You'd have the three-year-old, you know, stand up on his his little chair, you know, with his diaper sagging down, and he would say something that was not just inane. And then you'd have the thirteen-year-old who would actually try to tell a funny story.
0: But just the intent of your dad to even entertain that at such a young age, you know, it's it's something. It's uh, honestly that's a different type of dinner table than what I grew up with. (laughs) And maybe David will agree, you know. But that's beautiful.
2: It was nice. It was really, really
0: nice. I really, I really enjoyed the the, the that
2: family time. Yeah. Yeah, and that it helps a lot of things. It helps with you know public speaking, standing in front of people, or, or you know not being shy. It you break you break past that. You know doing these things that you're you know the door table I think it's great. It's, a, it's like a forgotten um,
0: uh, thing that people just don't do. So is it pretty safe to say that you had an excellent childhood?
1: <laughs> I think I had an excellent childhood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm very, gra- I'm very grateful for the, the family that I was raised with. My parents, uh, God bless them, are still alive. In fact, just wow. before this, um, I ran over to their house. You know, we, we, I was walking precincts, <laughs> and I knocked off walking precincts, and I hadn't uh, uh, seen my mom and dad for a couple of days, so I ran by the house and visited with them. And they're both still alive, and they're That's living on their own. They have some care for themselves during the day. But yeah, I had I, I am very grateful that we had an excellent childhood. That's
0: wow. yes, yeah, a blessing. I mean, that's a blessing. If you're a dinosaur. <laughs> <it's>, yeah, you <laughs> are <laughs> like, so. yeah, a unicorn. You know, it's like <laughs> a mythical creature. Like okay, somebody still had a solid foundation as a family. That's beautiful. Yeah, these things do exist. Yeah, yeah, they do exist. You wow. know, not not. It's not true for everybody, but it's beautiful that you were able to do that. It just. Look, look at what you've been able to accomplish because obviously you've done plenty of things besides what you're trying to accomplish now um, If you wouldn't mind getting into into kind of that, you know, I know sure. you wore a lot
1: of different hats and sure to
0: give us a platform for People to get to know you and where you come from.
1: Sure. So um, You know I talked about my my dad being a firefighter My mom was active in the church and the school and she worked at home um, And my brothers were firefighters and when I um, As I was coming up, I went to college and then I went to law school and my form of public service was when I came out of law school was to represent cities as city attorney. And uh, I do think your question was really a good one. Do you think it was like drilled into you or was it innate? Yeah. Like nature versus nurture sort of thing. And maybe some of it was nature because I really gravitated towards this, uh, what they call municipal law. Mm -hmm. It's representing the city government itself, telling it the rules and it and sort of uh, uh, being a referee to the city council for a bunch of different jurisdictions around Southern California. Really enjoyed it. I really, really, really enjoyed that practice. I was in Bellflower and uh, Manhattan Beach and El Segundo and Downey. And then I got to know Jim Hahn, who was the city attorney of Los Angeles. Ah. So I did a little bit of work for Jim Hahn and it went well. And he, he called me in one day for a breakfast meeting and said, I want you to be my chief deputy uh, city Attorney. So, I, in the late '90s, I came into Los Angeles as the chief deputy city attorney. I was a pretty young guy. I was in my mid 30s. Uh, now, oh, sorry, correct uh, me
2: if I'm wrong. Han was the only person to uh, uh, in Los Angeles to serve as controller uh, and uh, city attorney, and also
1: uh, office of city attorney, right? Yes. Yeah. And mayor. And mayor. and mayor. and mayor. So he served as controller for a couple of terms. He was city attorney for four terms which will never happen again, because now it's term limited, and then served as mayor. So the only person to ever have done that. I came into his last term of city attorney,
0: uh-huh.
1: and that was a lot of fun. I was his chief deputy, and there were 300 lawyers, and uh, it was all kinds of, I mean, Los Angeles has all kinds of legal issues, and, and uh, I described it as uh, uh, as being in Disneyland, and you're with your parents, <laughs> and your parents accidentally leave you there, Yeah. Park closes, but all the rides are still on. <laughs> it was a it was an exciting time. Uh, really enjoyed it. I was really honored to serve the city. And then Jim Kahn became mayor and he brought me over to be his chief of staff in the mayor's office. So I did that for one term. Uh, we lost the election. We lost the re-election. We lost the re-election to Antonio Villa That's right. And I say that, I say it that way, you're probably surprised I say, we lost the election. Because that was an important part of the story, too. Yeah. I mean, it was a very humbling experience, but it was a really an important experience. I lived through a time where as chief deputy, chief of staff, we had to do a transition. And we had to, we, you know, we fought really hard, tried to win, didn't. And then worked really hard on a transition to make sure that the people coming after us had all the files, all the information, all the background, all the support, to a reasonable extent, that we could provide. To make them successful, wow. and that was really a, a great experience for me because it, it 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 was the one thing I look back on that says it tells me that you know you put city service you put public service above above self wow. you really you know do the right thing for the right reason and I went back into private practice wow. total removal
0: my, of evil doing the right thing
1: do the right yeah. thing do the right thing for the right reason yeah and uh, you know I just saw Antonio Villarosa over the weekend. And he always reminds me that, hey, Timmy, 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 <laughs> thanks for the way you handled that. You know, it was really, it was really great working with you. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Would you say Han was one of your biggest role models? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: One of the, one of an important role model for me, uh, an important mentor, uh, a really significant part of my career was moving over and and, and learning from him about the city of Los Angeles, learning how to be a public servant, learning about what was, they the do the right thing for the right reason, it's all Jim Han. Wow. I mean, he, he really was, and is, he's a judge now, yeah. and is that person.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, it's, uh, I did a little bit of research on him, reading, okay. and uh, uh, it's, there's a small story in the Los Angeles Almanac that uh, says, uh, it said that younger Han often accompanied his father on weekend car rides in search of potholes. The uh, fending potholes were quickly filled uh, the following Monday, and um, it, I, thought, I, I thought that was awesome. I yeah. mean, I, again, just like sending from childhood, yeah. from an early age, you uh, gravitate towards these things, and he kind of carries an integrity uh, without having been said, just something that he enjoyed, and I, I think that's a, that's a great story. Yeah. Jim
1: Hahn was all about uh, an efficient and effective running of the government, make it run well. And that's not always politically it doesn't get you a lot of political points. Yeah. Filling potholes does get you political points. Filling potholes is great. But he was also very Jim Hahn was very sophisticated about making sure that the departments worked well with one another, that you had you didn't have silos and you tried to create an efficient budget. By by that I mean if departments work together well and they're not working across purposes, Mm -hmm. then you can spread out more services to more people. It's not really a very noticeable thing. You don't see it when it's happening as a as a, an act of politics. Mm. It's not as dramatic as a politician saying, "I'm going to you know do this and, and make a big announcement and put out a press release," <laughs> you know. And, and but but that wasn't what Jim was in it for. What Jim was in it for was to make the city run well. Yeah. These a lot of these benefits people
2: didn't see them. They, they went on you know to serve you know other purposes where they weren't noticed, but they helped city tremendously. So that's that's great. I was just I was just really uh, um, taken back by that story. His well. dad
1: said one thing <laughs> about puddles. His dad, Kenny Han, was with the county. He was a county supervisor. Okay. For forty years, thirty years, forty years, yeah, 40 years. For forty years. And he really took good care of his district. And he used to say, if you were sitting in the car, you could close your eyes and just feel by the road, by the, <laughs> the tires touching the road, when you left the city and entered the county, because <laughs> the roads were better. And I want I want that to be my model. I want I want to be. I want folks to say you can close your eyes. And hopefully you're not the driver when you do this. <laughs> so you close your eyes and you know when you leave or enter CD fifteen. Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, that's beautiful. Do you think that same culture still is there, where people want to do the right thing, like these you know gentlemen that came before?
1: I do. Yeah. I do. I think I think that it would be it would surprise me if if. People came into this life of running for office and wanting to be in office if you didn't want to do the right thing. And 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 you know if it doesn't begin with wanting to be a public servant and want to do the right thing for the right reason and sort of be selfless about that, uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. But I think that as I as I look around and 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 know. People that have either been on or, or want to be on, you see more often than not people that want to do it for the right reasons. That's weird. Wow. That's
0: good to know. That's good to know because you know a lot of times things are portrayed differently in the right. media and stuff like that. So you know it, it leaves that the flavors are different for right. some that just viewing it from from the media, and not really you know
1: there to to see and have eyes on. And, and you cynicism know. can be healthy. It's, uh, I shouldn't say cynicism, skepticism. Skepticism. Being skeptical of government uh, and and how it's functioning and whether it's serving us, being skeptical of people's motivations is probably a healthy thing. Um, But I think it's also important to look at people with real eyes and look and, and try to get to know them and try to find out, you know, whether or not that skepticism is justified or not. And I will say, correcting myself from a moment ago, being cynical is not healthy. I mean, skeptical, a healthy skepticism, but really get to know, I would urge every voter, everyone involved in, you know, tangentially involved uh, in in government and the government that's serving them, get to know the folks and and what their motivations are and make the appeal and, 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 and don't be shy to, you know, judgment on people yeah. but give them a chance
0: yeah i uh i'm so glad that nick or friend nick Lafarga put that meeting together a couple yeah. weeks back and uh i just thought that was impactful like i've always been somebody to complain and nick is somebody that always reminds me listen if you're not going to do anything about it don't complain <laughs> because you know what, what are you what are you getting about complaining like you need to show up you need to get involved yeah um you know and it's like he's barely getting me into the swing of things you know but it's it's and it's not just me; it's a bunch of us. You know, we we sit there, we complain, but we don't participate. You know, when we have our time to yeah. step up and do something, we just we fail every time.
1: That was great. When yeah. Nit, you know, I just got to know Nick through his uh, through his family. I've known other members of his family, right? And uh, it was really nice of him to uh, invite me to come over and, and go to ASEAN and meet a, yeah. a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was a great meeting yeah. because. That I, w- I would call that a meeting where there was really healthy skepticism. Yeah. And I was really, I really enjoy being in that kind of uh, conversation, that kind of a debate where someone says, "Hey, here's what I think. Uh, here's what I'm assuming about you. Tell me why that's true or untrue." Yeah. And but but everyone in that room gave me a chance to talk. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And
0: I think you addressed everybody's concerns. You know. Yeah. I think uh, everybody was confident. You know, and felt happy. You know, when you left and. It just, uh, you you walked in with a different air. You know, you were open, you were approachable. Um, It it flavors things different for people.
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I will say one thing that is probably the most important quality for someone to have if they're stepping into this type of a role, where you're walking into a room and asking people to support you in politics or in government or in this quest, the most important quality is humility. Be really, really, really humble. Not without confidence, but be humble.
0: There's a difference, yeah. yeah. There's a difference, yeah.
1: You've got to open yourself up to, I think you said it before, you've got to open yourself up to criticism, to vulnerability. Absolutely. And and, and you have to have the confidence to be able to do that. The humility to do it and the confidence to do it. I once had a friend that told me, Hey, Tim, you are very humble and you have every reason to be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. It's <laughs> a great anecdote. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, um,
2: uh, well, I think we went past education, school, and all that. But uh, you, you, uh, did you play sports in high school? I'm just curious. I did. Yeah, yeah I, was... I did. I
1: played football. Okay. And yeah. I played. Um, I ran track. I was uh, a field guy. and did shot but Played basketball. Really? Yeah. Until the weightlifting program sort of took me out of my, my <laughs> comfort zone of my shot. Uh, and I and I played a little bit of golf, okay. A little bit of golf because you know we were playing at uh, Chester Washington of course, and you could play for free, uh, you know, once a week if you were on the golf team. So I played a little bit of everything, uh-huh. uh, and then in college I uh, played rugby. No way! Wow. Yeah, how and tall are you? Six one, six two? I'm just under six one. Six one. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I put six one on my driver's license. That was I <laughs> was an ego moment. But. <laughs> Now, um, have you ever been to fight in high school? Uh, yes. Yeah, really? Tell me about that. Well, you know, it was it was <laughs> the it, sometimes sometimes in that football in that football world, yeah. You know, they sort of cultivate it, oh, sort yeah. of cultivate the yeah the, the sort of the warrior thing. So you know, I'm I yeah. yeah. happy to say I got in the, I got in a couple of fights with folks that I have continued to know the rest <laughs> of my life, and we get along just fine. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <right, that's laughs> No, that's cool. I like that.
2: Um,
1: so, uh, oh, and I boxed in college, a oh little, a little tiny bit, a little little. Which little college? Uh, uh, University of Notre Dame. Okay, Notre Dame. Uh, so we had a boxing program, and I used to, I used to go out for the boxing program. I did it a couple of times just to get in shape for rugby, but I never, uh, I sparred, but I never, uh, uh, I never had a match. Really? Yeah. So uh, I don't want to overstate. I don't want to overstate no. the boxing. But <laughs> Wow. So Notre Dame.
2: Uh, yeah. How did that? How did that happen? Did you, you always want to go to Notre Dame, or how did that? Uh,
1: present that was one. When you ask about whether it's uh, nature or nurture, whether it was it was <laughs> pounded, it was pounded into me. Uh, my my dad's mom, my grandma, was an Irish immigrant, and my grandpa was um, firstborn here. From, not firstborn, but he was. His family was also uh, recent immigrants. But my Irish immigrant grandma, when she was in San Pedro and raising kids and home taking care of the house, she would turn on the radio and she heard a football game, and the team team name was the Fighting Irish. Mm. And so she knew nothing about football. It's a true story. She knew nothing about football. She didn't really know anything about the University of Notre Dame, but she loved that they were called the Fighting Irish. And so she became this diehard Fighting Irish football fan. (laughs) And she indoctrinated my dad into that, and then my dad, my dad raised us to be all Notre Dame fans. Wow. My dad never saw the place until I was a junior. Yeah. So, he, he, as we were coming up in the house, you know, he was a firefighter was, uh, and, and, you know, doing a great job of raising his family, but, you know, private college is a long shot, you know, for a, for a guy raising six kids. And his thing was, if one of you gets into Notre Dame, you know, we'll mortgage the house and we'll make it work out. And um, I remember my two older brothers, who also loved Notre Dame, would always push on me say, you know, study a little more, Timmy, you're the one, you're going to go to Notre Dame, you're going to go to Notre Dame. And so that just became sort of the family culture. Mm -hmm. And my grandma, God rest her soul, never saw the place. She was just too old to travel, but she was so happy. My dad came out when I was a junior and saw it for the first time.
2: What was that like?
1: He was emotional. He was happy. Uh, I was. Uh, it's hard to describe. I was just. Uh, I was really proud and happy that my dad was happy and my mom too, of course. It really was my dad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I like how your uh, brothers, your siblings, encourage you to do better. They, they, uh, you know, yeah. they egg you on. I think that's. Um, that's tremendous, uh, you know, encouragement from your family, especially brothers, you know, siblings. You don't—it's not very common sometimes, but you don't get that real encouragement, like, "Hey, you're the one, you're going to go." And yeah, it's, it's 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 huge. And either one of them could
1: have. I yeah. mean, they were—they, you know, my brother Mike, God rest his soul, passed away. He had a heart attack and died a couple of years ago. Certainly. Brilliant, wow. yeah, Sorry. thank you, yeah. brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, but for him, the path was—he wanted to be a firefighter. And my brother, Pat, the same. His path, he wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, so they both really turned to me in a supportive way and said, essentially, don't screw this up. Keep studying. You can do it. And then when I got in and I was back there, they were yeah, they were young firefighters, unmarried. And so they could they could jump on a plane. Yeah. And they would come back and, and uh, sleep on the floor in my room and wow. to ball games together. Oh, so it was funny. like they were going, too.
0: That's cool. So I guess it's safe to say that you're a pretty good manifester, aren't you, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> Everything that, that's up here eventually plays itself out. <laughs> that's yeah. beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. You're in harmony, and it
1: works. Yeah. I think it's important to. I think it's important to dream, and then to reach for your dreams. Absolutely, I agree. That's where it starts. An idea. Ideas are unbreakable, yeah. and
2: um, you know you got to start somewhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I yeah, appreciate that. I
2: appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I it's uh. That's great. I I love that. And uh, how soon, uh, when you graduated, what
1: year did you graduate uh, college? I graduated uh, college in uh, 1984. Okay. And then I went straight to law school. I went to UCLA Law School Mm -hmm. and graduated there in 1987. How was law school? Law school, uh, I'm not putting down UCLA, it's a very fine school, but it's kind of like after after an undergraduate experience, uh, in the liberal arts and then you go to law school it feels kind of like uh, you're learning by rote mm. uh, and so was was it a, a, you know I enjoyed the experience I got married during law school oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I made a lot of great friends uh, but I wouldn't call it a great academic experience okay. uh, I was really focused on even then talking about manifesting your dreams I was focused on public law uh, learning everything I could about what it would take to be a, a government lawyer or be associated with the government uh, to move public policy. And so I appreciated that part of it, but I was I was just happy to get through it, take the bar, and be able to start raising my family. Would you say that was the toughest part of college,
2: uh, you know, going to, going, going to the... Uh, to law school? Yeah, to law school.
1: Um, I guess so. I yeah. guess yeah, I'd say that. Okay. Not as fun? I mean, it's more, uh, you know... It's a different academic experience. Okay. Yeah. I also was very distracted. You know, I met my, my wife uh, in grade school. Grade wow. school? Another manifestation. Look at yeah. Really? <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, we met in grade school and- How'd you guys uh, meet? Uh, she was, well, how did it meet? I don't know, I was in eighth grade, she was in seventh grade. <laughs> uh, I just was aware of her, I guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we went to the same high school. Uh, we started dating right as I was leaving high school. And she was a year behind one year behind me. And then, uh, and so we were apart during college. She went to, she stayed in Southern California, went to UCLA. Okay. And uh, I went to the Midwest. And the reason why I went to UCLA law school was because she would be a senior at UCLA. Mm, okay. <laughs> and so, so we continued our dating and got married while I was at law school. And uh, just before, uh... And just as I was getting ready to take the bar, we were expecting. Wow! And so I will say that the, the the most pressure I've ever felt in my life, by a factor of a thousand, was graduating from law school, studying for the bar. My wife was expecting. I had a job offer that was only good if I passed the bar. <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> so I was like rolling the dice, all in one shot. Jeez! And uh, no pressure, huh? And it was a great deal. Of, totally worth it. <laughs> Every piece of it was worth it. But when folks ask, you know, what's the pressure of working in government or what's the pressure of being a lawyer or what's the pressure of this or that, nothing compares to the pressure of that Yeah, in my life. And so everything else is fine.
0: <laughs> is it safe to say that in hindsight, you realize that these moments were the ones that actually made you and molded you? Yeah. When everything was up in limbo and you know, it's like, Jesus, I hope this works, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, you know what I mean? Me, I'm a a cancer survivor. I told Sergio that last time that I met him. And uh, when I got cancer, I was leukemia, so cancer in the blood. Mm -hmm. Um, It put so many things in perspective. Sure. So many things in perspective. Right. And so sometimes these tragic moments that happen to us in our life, at the moment we don't understand that it's not happening to us but for us, Mm -hmm. for the evolution of us. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I don't think the universe is too concerned with us being happy. It's more concerned with us evolving. Right to our you know to our potential. Right, right. So you know it's like uh, you know so you had a lot of stuff in limbo and everything seemed to work out.
1: Right, Yeah, right. no, I, I I I agree with that completely. And I think yeah. what you're saying, I know what you're saying, is you take every one of those experiences and you look for the meaning, yeah. or you look for the lesson, or you look for how does it how does it strengthen you, how does it let you get to the next step. Right. Even if it has no meaning. Yeah. Even if you can't find the meaning in it, right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everything always
0: reveals itself in in due time. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that are always trying to rush the process. Right. It's like you don't plant a seed and, you know, got fruit the next week. It's There's seasons. There's seasons of doubt. There's seasons of, uh, you know, success. There's seasons of not knowing exactly what's going to happen. You know, you just got to enjoy every season.
1: Right. When you say that, it makes me think, I hadn't thought of that story of my wife expecting... And waiting for bar results, and not knowing whether we'd have a job or being able to pay the the rent the next Jeez. month. But um, that child that she was expecting at that time is my oldest daughter, who is now working on my campaign <laughs> and has uh, has her own son, yeah. my grandchild. Yeah. And so everything everything in its time. Yeah. Everything.
2: Everything everything falls into place somehow. It's just, it just happens. That's, that's right. awesome. That's a, that's great. Yeah. That's, man, that's
0: awesome. Um, as far as your, ch- your children, what have you been able to, what was your goal with, with them? What did you want them to take from you? Um, what did you want to embed in them as they were growing up?
1: Thank you. Thank you for asking that. So we have five kids, for starters, uh, and our children are uh, 30 4, 32, 30, 28, and 26. And I think that the most important thing that Connie and I wanted to teach the kids was that their best, the best use of their time and their skills and the best use of their life, really, was at whatever age they were, whatever capacity they had, was to be you know, of service to others. And it was really Connie who brought me along on this because I was busy with the career and, and working on, you know, working at the law and working in government and doing different things. And, and Connie um, would organize the kids age appropriately to do these service projects. For example, when they were, when they were really little, like two years old and four years old, and six and eight, she um, would bring them to um, nursing homes and they would put on shows. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I know. <laughs> or we would have weekend trips uh, to uh, to Mexico to uh, visit uh, an orphanage, and it sounds like it sounds like like unbelievable stuff. Like really, who thinks of this? Well, Connie kind of thinks of this, and it was always fun. It was always great. Uh, we always learned something. Sometimes the kids were reluctant, but mostly <laughs> they would step up. And and I think what we're just trying to teach them is that there's, you know, there is a center of the universe and it's not you.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah.
1: there's like really, there, there really are purposeful things we can we can do together or alone and just be of service to others.
0: What do you think was Connie's motivation for that, to instill that in, in, in their kids?
1: I think it is her, just her deep faith. Okay. Connie, for folks who know Connie, they think of her as a, they know her to be a very faithful, very, um, uh, very comfortable in herself, person. Yeah. You know, there's no veneer. You know, you know exactly what you have when you have Connie, and she, uh, and she's sort of her whole purpose is to serve other folks. Wow.
0: What type of faith do you guys belong to? You guys, Christian, Catholic,
1: uh, Roman Catholic. Okay. Yeah, and so we're both we both were raised Roman Catholic, um, and. Um, and brought up our kids to be Catholic. Uh, And especially during the pandemic and in recent years, we've been really appreciative of other faith traditions. You know, when when the pandemic occurred and and, it was hard to get to services, uh, it was an opportunity for us to go online to to, uh, follow the Catholic mass, but also it became an opportunity for us to also go online and experience other faith traditions. And Connie, particularly, is involved in something called the Garden Church. It's this outdoor garden in downtown San Pedro, picture a pocket park in the middle of downtown San Pedro. And it's both a garden and a sanctuary space for a Christian denomination. And she works and ministers there while while still participating in the Catholic Church.
0: That is awesome.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's, it's predominantly meant to serve folks that are living in and around the downtown area some folks who are unhoused and some folks who are under housed but also to to make sure that there's no distinction between the housed community and the unhoused community everyone comes together for a service
0: that's amazing as far as forward thinking you know it's like one you're you're born into a religion people just buckle down yeah just by association yeah, yeah. just you know for her to have you know before we're thinking of listen maybe there's more to this you know maybe there's more to it that's that's just beautiful
1: it's really easy to get focused in your, in the religion you're raised in, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I really love the Catholic Church, yeah. uh, and even when I you know, rail against some of its rules, yeah. <laughs> some of its some of its you know history and practice, but still love the church. And um, but it's really it's really rewarding to also experience other faith traditions, and it happens a lot in campaign. Yeah. I mean. Uh, The campaign gives me an opportunity to visit so many churches. And on a Sunday when I go to a few different services and different denominations, I've come away from every single experience uh, enriched and and feeling really rewarded and and really happy to meet folks, but to pray with folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a sense of awe that you can get from different denominations for sure. For me, for example, my parents grew up Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. I grew up in that in that religion, and uh, it was a tough one because you're not allowed to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> heard. You're not allowed to do anything. So you know, as I got older, I kind of came and found myself in spirituality. You know, that's always it's just worked out for me better that way. You're just um, it's more open. It's it's not so buckled down, and it's there's there's flexibility there. You understand that it's doesn't have I've just never been able to buy into the concept that there's going to be a, a, one religion and that's the only way to find your salvation. I think salvation is found within us doing the work. Um, and so it's... I just don't... You know, it's like, well, this is a real religion. This is a real religion. I think it's... Right. I think God's everywhere. God's in the lemon tree. God's in a dog. God's in us. You know, it's. it's, it's just... It's an open concept, and it's resonated with me more than any other religion.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. And I agree. I agree with that. I and and I will also add though that that um, coming together in community is another one of those expressions. Yeah. Another one of those ways of, defi- of finding God. Because I do hear folks say that I could be you know bobbing on my surfboard or hiking in the mountains mm-hmm. and experience God, and I don't doubt that. Yeah. Uh, but that's not that's not to say that that that. Being in community, which tends to be a, a religious denomination or religious uh, a, a religious tradition, is, is, is also a powerful thing.
2: Absolutely, it's yeah, bringing people together. It's a rewarding, and people appreciate it. And and what you're give, what you're giving, is being received and, and given back to you or to somebody else. It's a circle of energy that everyone shares, and uh, it's it's nothing but good, positive things for everyone.
0: Right. Yeah. But, now I will say this as far as that, and you know, then we'll move on, but. I think for me personally, it was just that I, the people that i seen, and, and you know, there's sometimes you, we, we tend to focus too so much on individuals instead of the doctrine mm-hmm. or the religion, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like we don't see change in certain people. It's like, well, what is this doing? You've been participating in this religion for years, mm-hmm. which I, you've never changed. You continue to be the same person. So it's like, are they just showing up, putting in the hours? You understand? That That was just always my <clears throat> back then. Like, sure. there's not change in, you know, they say power is knowledge. I say uh, I say that's not the case. Uh, you know, when you adopt something and make it yours, and you know, you live in that knowledge and you wear it, that's, that's when the change comes. You know, you could know a bunch of things. I know a bunch of things I got to do on a daily basis. Probably don't do half of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I probably don't do half as much as I want to. And I try, but you know, yeah. that's just the reality of it sometimes. You know, and they're all personal journeys. Yeah, they're all personal journeys. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about it. My personal mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: That's great. uh While well, we're nearing uh the first half of the show, we normally go out 45 minutes and we're going to cut and take a break and okay. uh, move on to the next phase. That's okay, you guys? Does sure. it's okay? great. All right, great. Mm-hmm. We normally play music, but we have a small little uh we'll
0: audio. It out. You want me to sing? <laughs> 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 Maybe dance. We'll you really <laughs> on the
2: it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back. All right.